Well, good morning, everyone. If you are new here, uh, if you are visiting, uh, we just started our sermon series on um, the mothers of Jesus as we're just kind of going through this Advent season as we kind of reflect on uh, the birth of Jesus. Um, we're just going to go week after week going through the genealogy of Jesus Christ, which you can find in the first chapter of Matthew. And as we're going through the genealogy, we're just going to navigate through these mothers of Jesus. Uh, so if you guys have your bulletins, you guys can turn to page 8 with me. As we're going to be reading from Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. And um, some of the select um, passages that you'll find in Genesis chapter 38, verses 6 through 30. A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob, Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Judah got a wife for Ur, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the Lord's sight, so the Lord put him to death. Judah then said to his daughter-in-law, Tamar, Live as a widow in your father's house until my son Shelah grows up. For he thought he may die too, just like his brothers. So Tamar went to live in her father's house. When Tamar was told your father-in-law is on his way to Timnah to shear his sheep, she took off her widow's clothes, covered herself with a veil to disguise herself, and then sat down at the entrance to Enam, which is on the road to Timnah. For she saw that through Shelah has now grown up, she had not been given to him as his wife. When Judah saw her, he thought she was a prostitute, for she had covered her face, not realizing that she was his daughter-in-law, and he went over to her by the roadside and said, Come now, let me sleep with you. And what will you give me to sleep with you, she asked. He said, What pledge should I give you? Your seal and his cord and the staff in your hand, she answered. So he gave them to her and slept with her, and she became pregnant by him. After she left, she took off her veil and put on her widow's clothes again. Meanwhile, Judah sent a young goat by his friend, the Dumalite, in order to get his pledge back from the woman, but he did not find her. Now, about three months later, Judah was told, Your daughter-in-law, Tamar, is guilty of prostitution, and as a result, she is now pregnant. Judah said, Bring her out and have her burned to death. As she was being brought out, she sent a message to her father-in-law. I am pregnant by the man who owns these, she said. And she added, see if you recognize whose seal and cord and staff these are. Judah recognized him and said, she is more righteous than I, since I wouldn't give her to my son, Shelah. And he did not sleep with her again. Now, when the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. As she was giving birth, one of them put out his hand. So the midwife took a scarlet thread and tied it on his wrist and said, This one came out first. But when he drew back his hand, his brother came out and she said, So this is how you have broken out. And he was named Perez. Then his brother, who had the scarlet thread on his wrist, came out and he was given the name Zerah. This is the word of God. Now mostly... Everyone in this room uh, went job hunting, or maybe you're currently in the job hunting process. 
And if you guys know anything about this process, one of the most important parts besides the interview itself is your resume. Because it is on this sheet of paper. You're, what you're going to do is you're going to make sure that you are going to put the best version of yourself in, in the most limited amount of space. And on top of that, what you're going to do is you're going to make sure that you're going to take out the most irrelevant parts of your job history because you don't want them to really know about it. They don't really actually need to know about it. I mean, for me, uh, I was a, a manager for a Papa John's in college, but I make sure I'm not going to put that in my pastoral resume for it has nothing to do with preaching a sermon. You guys get me? See, in ancient societies, your resume was not based on your job per se, but it was rather about family prominence. And in the same way, in ancient times, what you would do in light of a resume is you would make sure that you would put the names of the highest status and you were likely to make sure to remove the names of the ones that had a lower status for your reputation was based on the family pedigree. So what's interesting is that in the genealogy of Jesus Christ, in a period where women had no rights and no real power, Matthew, in this genealogy, he decides to include the mothers of Jesus. What Matthew was doing as he's putting the mothers of Jesus in this genealogy was actually very countercultural to the norms of society. It was suicide in regards to your social standings. But what this tells us as he includes the mothers of Jesus is this. It tells us that these women were extremely important to the lineage of Jesus Christ. And here in the beginning of Matthew, we see an unlikely ancestor of Jesus, and she is named Tamar. And as you go through Tamar's narrative, we are going to see this gospel truth. And it's simply this, that God redeems brokenness through the Son, Jesus Christ. This morning, I got three points for us as we dive into the narrative of Tamar. Those three points for us are the injustice of Tamar, the breakthrough of Tamar, and finally, the promise of Jesus. Let's look at the injustice of Tamar. Well, Matthew chapter 1, verse 2 and 3, we look at the genealogy. It tells us this, that Tamar is married to Judah's oldest son. And Judah is the great-grandson of Abraham. And what the Bible tells us is that it will be through Abraham where God will make a covenantal promise that he would save the world through one of his sons. Meaning, when you look at Tamar, Tamar was to be a recipient of this blessing as she would be one of the mothers of this covenantal promise. But what happens in light of this covenantal promise? We find her story in Genesis chapter 38, verse 7. It says, But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the Lord's sight, so the Lord 
put him to death. So we have a little hiccup in light of this narrative, this road to covenantal blessing. What happens, verse 7, it tells us is that Tamar's problem, it begins actually when her first husband was killed for his wickedness. Now, we don't know why. It doesn't really say specifically in what ways he was wicked and cruel, but enough ways for him to experience death. So as we just dive into Tamar's narrative just a little bit, we see that she's experiencing a little bit of trauma, a little bit of loss, a little of pain, a little bit of suffering. Consider this as we dive into this narrative. Now, what's important to note is that in light of this loss, uh, Tamar actually had some insurance. Why? Because it was during these times, and it's important to highlight, that there was a law known as the Leveret Marriage Law. What this law did is it protected women during its times. What it did was it required that if a woman's husband died without offspring being produced, it was the duty of his brother to bear a child in order to continue this lineage. So there was a level of protection that, yes, in light of this suffering and this brokenness, the loss of her first husband, she has some insurance, this law that's going to honor her by giving her the son that she was promised. So in light of this law, Judah continues. What does he do? He instructs his second son, to raise up children of Tamar. But what does Scripture tell us? It tells us that Onan, he takes advantage of this uh, engagement. He would uh, have sexual relationships with Tamar, but the verses specifically tells us that he does it in a way where she would not be able to conceive. So now there's a, uh, a level of brokenness and suffering that just layered on top of her first loss. And what happens now is that because of his wickedness, he too would be murdered. So let's build on this suffering narrative, this brokenness uh, story, if you will. For Tamar, her first husband dies. Her second husband would ne neglect the responsibility of giving her a child, and now he dies for his wickedness. You're probably wondering, it cannot get worse than this, correct? Well, the story continues. Genesis 38, verse 11. Judah then said to his daughter-in-law, Tamar, Live as a widow in your father's household until my son, Shelah, grows up. For he thought he may die too, just like his brother. So Tamar wants to live in her father's household. Now, I'm going to just highlight verse 11 a little bit because it actually goes uh, deeper into what Judah is actually thinking. So what's happening in verse 11 is that when Judah says, live as a widow in your father's household until my son grows up, what Judah is trying to do is he's saying, Tamar, you know what? There's a lot that's going on right now, and I'm going to do this. I just want you to go back home, find some rest, and I'm going to call you when my son, my third son, is ready uh, is ready for um, all of this to happen, and we'll contact you. But what happens in light of this uh, uh, contact is in the second half of verse 11, what does it say? For he thought he may die too, just like his brothers. So Tamar went to live in her 
father's household. So what's happening is that it's kind of like a cover-up. In reality, he's telling Tamar, go home. I want you to rest up. I'll call you. But the reality, the reason why he's actually saying that is because he actually is having a great fear. He was worried that his third son may die as well. In other words, Judah is blaming Tamar for the death of his sons. He's treating Tamar as if she was dangerous. He's now blame-shifting everything towards Tamar, even though Scripture clearly says that the death had nothing to do with Tamar, but it was simply because of their evil. But what happens that because he was rather trying to continue to honor the very law of God, he runs and he hides and he blame shifts. And because of this, he would prevent Tamar from engaging with his youngest son. Going back to this law, remember that he was called to give one of his sons. He had a responsibility to bless her with children, inheritance, and opportunity. But instead, Tamar would still remain a widow. In other words, to very simply state is that there was an injustice towards Tamar. Now, in light of this injustice, what is also important to note is the severity of this injustice towards Tamar. Because it was during these times where childless widows, they were considered to be the most socially and economically vulnerable people in society. They were pretty much left for dead. So consider Tamar's narrative at this point. Consider the immeasurable amount of suffering she's experiencing because of the injustice towards her. And at the same time, that this rebellion from Judah, he's going against the very justice of God that he causes his people to be part of. For God cares, calls, and loves the widows Psalm 146, verse 9, it says, The Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the way of the wicked. So in reality, when you apply this today, is that our society as well, and just as God has called Judah by law to protect his daughter from injustice, the, the practical question for us right now in light of injustice is, as Christians, how are you pursuing justice in an unjust world? See, when we think about this injustice, the injustice that we see applied to Tamar right now, the reality is that in this brokenness within our society that there is a constant injustice seen and unseen. Social injustice stemming from race, gender, and economical status. And the question is, how do you respond? How do you respond to the very character of God? For God is justice. And in him, if he is just, how are we pursuing the justice that he has called us to in light of a broken world and a broken society in need of the gospel? Micah chapter 6 verse 8 says, but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. And it remains to the question this morning, as a Christian, in what ways are you practically pursuing justice? 
And what I love about the gospel is that in light of this pursuit, is, is, is this middle ground where we are called, to, the church is very clear, we are called to pursue justice and we are called to partake in these uh, matters. But at the same time, when we see scripture in light of the conviction that we have in Christ, we are called to do it in light of the gospel. And the reality is, is that there is much injustice. Some of us in this room have personally experienced it. Maybe it was because of race. Maybe it was because of gender. Maybe it was simply because of class. Some of us have experienced injustice in the most horrific ways of pain and suffering and abuse and oppression. And if that's you within this room or if that's something that you have experienced, I just want to simply remind us right now that God cares just as he cares for the widows, just as he cares for Tamar. He most certainly cares about you. And if you are in this room and if you are experiencing this level of suffering and this brokenness that is just a little bit overwhelming, well, Scripture tells us that God hears your cries this morning. God cares for you. Just as God cares about Tamar as a widow in the same way, God cares for you in light of justice in an unjust world. And this is Tamar. She is experiencing an unjust act where she is now led to a dead-end life. So what does Tamar do? Tamar, she pursues it. It's our second point, the breakthrough. Read verse 13 and 14 with me. When Tamar was told, your father-in-law is on his way to Timnah to shear his sheep, she took off her widow's clothes, covered herself with a veil, disguised herself, and then sat down at the entrance of Enayim, which is on the road to Timnah. For she saw that through Sheila had gone, now grown up, she had not been given to him as his wife. Now what's happening? Tamar he, she stripped away from her rights to a child, so she begins to pursue justice in her own way. What does she do? Well, it tells us that she's devising a plan. She's creating something. So what she does is, in light of this, she finds out Judah is traveling. So what does Tamar do? She conceals her identity. She would get a veil to hide her identity, and she strategically places herself on the roadside in Judah's path as he's trying to uh, uh, just do work. What happens? The plot is a plot of prostitution. So Judah, he falls into this temptation, and all of a sudden, in this moment on the road, we now have this act of both prostitution and incest. So it's interesting that Tamar, she was essentially the protagonist of this text, isn't doing protagonist-like things in terms of morality. So what does that tell us? It tells us this. When you look at this passage, this passage and Scripture as a whole it has nothing necessarily to do with morals because these are all immoral people. If you look at Judah, and then, yes, you look at Tamar, they were both sinners. 
There is one that caused an injustice and the other one to respond immorally. Tamar, she disguised herself as a prostitute, had sex with her father-in-law, Judah. At the same time, Judah neglected to materially provide for Tamar, despite the fact that she was helpless, she was a widow, and she was driven to desperate measures. So in light of immorality, where nothing deserved the grace of God, where nothing deserved salvation, where nothing deserved the gift of a child, what happens? Breakthrough. Look at verse 29. But when he drew back his hand, his brother came out, and she said, So this is how you have broken out. And he was named Perez. This is the breakout of Tamar and Judah. Why is it a breakthrough? Well, verse 29, it tells us that as the brother came out, this is how you have broken out. As uh, there would be one named Perez, it essentially means to break through. But in light of her breakthrough, it has nothing to do with her morality. It has nothing to do with good works because there was necessarily no good works. There was not necessarily evidence of a great life. Breakthrough simply happened because of grace. Breakthrough simply happens because of grace. Tim Keller says it this way. Here then, you have moral outsiders adulterous and sensuous relationships, prostitutes. Indeed, we are reminded that even the prominent male ancestors, Judah, were moral failures. You have cultural outsiders, racial outsiders, and gender outsiders. The law of Moses excludes these people from the presence of God, and yet they are publicly acknowledged as the ancestors of Jesus. The point is this, the breakthrough of Tamar, the breakthrough of Judah had nothing to do with anything moral that they did. It was simply because God was gracious that in the very plan of God, which you see in the genealogy of Jesus Christ, that generation after generation after generation These generations are filled with broken people, it's filled with broken relationships, it's definitely filled with broken plans, but in light of that brokenness, what God decides to do in his grace, he decides to look at it, decides to form it, and he makes sure that it is for your good and absolutely for his glory. And in the same way, if we believe that breakthrough is by sheer grace. Know that in your suffering, in your brokenness, in your patterns of sin, when we look at the gospel of grace, that it was Jesus Christ that did all of the work on the cross for salvation's sake. It has nothing to do with our behavior modification. It has nothing to do with calculating how many good deeds we have done for the day. It has nothing to do with your self-growth and self-motivation ways. But simply by learning and deepening to the very presence and grace of God. 
how there is ta- breakthrough for Tamar. It's nothing that she did, but because of what the Lord has done. And I'm simply asking right now, if you are in this room, are you believing that today? How broken are we? And we simply just try to fix ourselves. We try to fix the situation. We try to get our plans. We try to figure it out. We haven't ever come to realize that whenever you try to plan something to fix it, it never really fixes it at all. Verse 29, she declares, this is how you have broken out. It's simply a declaration. She did nothing to deserve this son, Perez, but it was rather an act of grace. She was a moral failure. All odds were against her. In this declaration, she says that, God, you are gracious. And if you are in this room, I simply just want to ask is, how are you allowing the power of the gospel to break through in your brokenness and in your suffering? How do we obtain breakthrough? Well, just as Tamar received a son, the gospel tells us that you can only experience breakthrough if we also let in to a son. And this leads us to our final point, the promise of Jesus. Read verse 24 and 25 with me as we go through this narrative. About three months later, Judah was told your daughter-in-law, Tamar, is guilty of prostitution, and as a result, she is now pregnant. Judah said, bring her out and have her burned to death. What's happening? Well, the story moves forward, and we find out that three months later, Tamar is pregnant, is now well known. So what happens is Judah, he promptly orders that she be brought out and she is to be burned. Consider Tamar's life right now. I mean, there's a lot of injustice, and now there's a lot of sin, and you add a layer on top of death being upon you. But what's so beautiful about this, and it's a small detail, that even in light of this, that there's still like this gospel-centered calmness, poise, and strategy Right, Because what happens, when you look at verse 18, after uh, Judah sleeps with Tamar, what Tamar does is, um, you know, Judah says, well, what do you want? And Tamar says, in exchange, I want a signet, a cord, and a staff. Now, why is that important is that some scholars state that Judah, what he's doing is when he says, okay, I'm going to hand over you my signet, my cord, and my staff, is essentially uh, like a Near Eastern equivalent of a wallet and a driver's license, credit card, and social security identification, and is actually giving that to Tamar. And what we see is that in light of that, when Judah says, burn, Death is upon you. Tamar says, no, do you remember this? And what does she do? She gives Judah the gifts. She gives him the signet, the cord, and the staff. So in verse 26, what do we see? Judah recognized him and said, she is more righteous than I, since I wouldn't give her to my son, Shelah. What's happening? Judah's breakthrough 
It happened when he recognized that he was given a son, but he was given a son because of his sin. In the same way, the only way breakthrough can happen in your deepest anger and your deepest self-righteousness and your deepest sin and your deepest suffering is to be realized that you too were given a son, but this son was given because of our sin. See, God, he breaks through the most greatest amount of suffering. He breaks through the bondage of sin. And we see this in Jesus Christ, the very Son of God, for he would break through the sins and the sufferings of the world. And just as Perez was a declaration of hope for Tamar and Judah, would you consider letting Jesus be the declaration for your hope today? See, if God can break through the worst type of injustice from Judah, and if God can break through the most heinous sins of Tamar, will Jesus not break through the most difficult seasons of sin and suffering in your life? Just as Tamar experienced the greatest amount of shame, did Jesus Christ not experience the ultimate amount of shame on the cross? So does Jesus not understand what you are experiencing right now. Tim Keller, once again, he says it this way. Tamar had her life back, and when Judah looked at her and said, you are righteous in spite of all your sins, we need to hear Christ look at us and say, truly, in spite of all your sins, you are righteous. You know, some of us in this room you're probably wondering, God, how are you really going to use and redeem my brokenness for good? And as a pastor of this church, I don't necessarily know. But I, what I can tell you, and what I can promise is because of what Scripture promises, is that it is for good, it is for His glory. And he will use it. And as you penetrate deeper into the presence of God, as you continue to find yourself slowly being overwhelmed by grace because God was a gracious God and he was with you in every step and every moment of the way, it begins to shift from sorrow unto joy, from brokenness to revelation from shame unto glory. And that's what we see with Tamar, that because of a son that was graciously given, her narrative of lost, brokenness, emptiness, relational dysfunctionalities, God graciously says that there will be breakthrough and in this breakthrough, what do we see in the book of Matthew? Is that she would be honored as a mother of the living Son of God. It's amazing to know that generations later, and like this unlikely story of brokenness, that there would be redemption. And this redemption was used 
to showcase the true righteous one, Jesus Christ. You know, as we approach this Advent season, um, you know, I've come to realize that in light of all of the lights, all of the joy, all of the Christmas hymns that we're going to sing, all of the family and the friends, and if you're a believer, to celebrate the birth of a Savior, I've come to realize that in all of this celebration, that's not always the case for a lot of people. See, the more and more I talk to, you know, many people uh, uh, during this season, the realization is that it's actually quite the opposite. See, for many, I've come to realize that the holiday seasons are actually a little bit more difficult from the lights that they see every night. It's a little bit more difficult from the songs and the hymns that they're singing and the gifts that they want to receive or have received. See, what I realize is that when I talk to people, often that the holidays are actually a really difficult time. But when I talk to them and I ask them why, the reason is this. The reason is is because when you see these, this holiday season, it's actually often the reflection of relational brokenness within their families. Oftentimes, it's a reminder of relational emptiness because of the lack of family. But when I look at the genealogy, genealogy of Jesus Christ, excuse me, I just wanted us to be reminded of a little bit of hope if that is you right now. Let the genealogy of Jesus Christ, this Tamar narrative, remind us that God is working in your brokenness. And I know for some of us, the season, it just may be a little bit hot right now because that suffering is starting to, you know, feel a little bit more pressured because of what you're seeing and it's making you realize of what you don't have. But my encouragement is that let that genealogy of Jesus Christ be a reminder that God is working in all of your brokenness. See, if the genealogy of Jesus Christ tells us that generation after generation is a family line of broken people, broken relationships, and broken plans, but it all leads to the coming of the Son, Jesus Christ, well, most certainly he is working in your brokenness. He's working in your suffering. He's working for your good. So cling on to him as we are reminded of this Advent season May you just have a little bit more hope, for we have it in a son. He is resurrected, and we will see it day in and day out. Will you join me in prayer?